You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Hi, my name is Franny Grant, and I'm a first year studying engineering and science. Uh, today, we're going to be reading Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not keep reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. For our offences are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offences are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me... This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, on the lips of their descendants, from this time on and forever, says the Lord. Well, hello everyone. My name is Joel. I am an apprentice. You may have guessed that I am not Stu. I have a beard. Yes, it's true, but I wear shorts, not long pants, and so I'm not Stu. Uh, And so I thought it might be appropriate for the last sermon in this Isaiah series to tell a story about Stu. And if you don't know who Stu is, Stu is our regular campus director. He's the guy that's usually here, looks a bit older, has a bit less hair than me. Uh, 
but that's okay. I'll be, I'll, I'll be bald by the time I'm his age, so it's fine. <laughs> well, picture this scene with me, all right? The, the year is 2014. The time is December, and it's a Saturday. We've just finished NTE, and if you don't know what NTE is, it's our massive end-of-year conference. It's awesome. It's the highlight of the year. You should totally come. That's my plug. Uh, but we've finished that, and we're doing NTE Mission. We used to do this a long time ago, and we used to go into Aubrey, into some schools, and do some Christmas celebrations, like Christmas school kind of religious instruction. Saturday is our day off, and we decide it's hot, it's December, pool party day. One of the houses we were billeted out to has a pool, and so you can imagine the scene, right? There's kind of the, the living room with the couches all kind of laying around, the pool's in the background, and it's about 10 a.m. People start wandering in, all of our team, there's about 12 of us on team, and we kind of collect on the couches because there's a few things we want to do before we start the pool time. And what happens when Christians gather and you haven't started anything? Someone pulls out a musical instrument. And what musical instrument, you might ask? A ukulele. And so my friend Laura pulls out a ukulele and there's one key piece of information you need to know. Stu was late. He wasn't there. And this has been a, a reoccurring theme across this mission. He was late to quite a few things. It wasn't that the first time. And so we'd been on lots of kids' missions together and we started writing a song, a song about Stu being late. And Stu was so late, we got four verses and a chorus done. And we got two verses done that we had to cut because they weren't good enough. That's how far we got through it. And I remember the scene vividly, right? So Stu's walking through the door, coffee in hand. That's why he was late. Walking through the door, coffee in hand. We're all sitting on the couches, all 12 of us. Some standing behind. Laura's got her ukulele. She strums and we sing to Stu a song about him being late. And the song, while I pick up my sermon notes, went something, I think, I think. My memory's a bit fading, but here is the chorus, I think. Oh, Stu, oh, Stu. What are we going to do? Oh, Stu, oh, Stu, we looked up to you. We thought you were great, but now you're late. Oh, Stu, oh, Stu, we've been waiting for you. See, we wanted to start, we wanted to get going on our pool party, but Stu was late. We couldn't start yet. There was great things ahead. And that's the question of our text today. Not why is Stu late, but why doesn't the Lord save now? Why doesn't he bring Zion now? Right? We've heard in the previous weeks about Zion, this place where God will dwell with his people, all the nations will come. It will be a great place, right, of prosperity and blessing. It sounds awesome. So why doesn't God bring it now? Why doesn't he save now? Have a look. 59 verse 1. 59 verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. That's the question that Isaiah is responding to. Why doesn't God hear our plea to bring Zion now? That's our big question. And I don't know about you, but I tend to ask the same question. Right? When things are hard... I ask, why doesn't Jesus come back now? Why doesn't he just wrap it all up? Or maybe I'm on a real high. I won my cup final for soccer on the weekend. I'm at a high point. This is the point for Jesus to return. Right now would be perfect before things get worse. Like, come back now. 
Well, we're going to go through some pretty deep stuff today. So how about we pray that God might help us to understand. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for your word, that in it you reveal truth to us. And Lord, we pray now that your spirit might help us to understand your word, that it might so be understood that it might be applied to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're an engineer, here's a structure for you. Uh, So here's the points. Point number one, the sinfulness of humanity, the utter sinfulness of humanity. If you're an art student, you don't know what structure is, so that's fine. Don't worry about it. Here's point number two, the consequence of sin, the consequence of sin. And point number three, the Lord's saving action, the Lord's saving action. Now, if you glance your eyes down at the passage, you'll see that verses three to verses eight talk about the sin of the people. Verses 9 to 11 talk about the consequence of their sin, but then there's something weird that happens. It flips back. So verses 12 and 13 talk again about the sin of the people and verses 14 and 15 talk again about the consequence of sin. And verses 16 onwards talks about the Lord's saving action. Just so you're aware as we jump around a little bit. So let's talk about the utter sinfulness of humanity. The utter sinfulness of humanity. Read with me verse 1 again. Verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So straight off the bat, we have the answer to our big question, don't we? Why does God not hear? Well, it's because of the sin of the people. But that begs two questions. At least it should. One, who are the people? And two, what is their sin? So let's look at that in turn. What, who are the people? Well, as we've been going through, we know that this is Isaiah talking to Israel. Here, it's Isaiah talking to Israel once they've come back from exile. Right, so it's the remnant that's remaining. They're surrounded by other nations and they're asking the question, why will, not, why will God not hear our plea? And what's their sin? Well, that's what's described. So look with me, verses 3. Look with me, verses 3. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. So what they do, right? Their hands stained with blood. Their hands are corrupt. You know the kind of like red berries that you get on your hands and then they just don't come off for ages? They kind of stick there. We have some in our backyard. Well, that's like the people. Everything they do is tainted. Everything they do is corrupt. But it's not just what they do, it's what they say, right? Their lips speak falsely, their tongue mutters wicked things. It's not just what they do, it's not just what they say, but it's the way they regard others. See verse 4, verse 4, no one calls for justice, no one pleads a case with integrity. They wink at justice, they don't care about it, they don't stand up for others. They don't care about injustice being occurring to others. It's not just what they do. It's not just what they say. It's not just the way they act towards others. But have a look with me. Have a look with me. The next part, verse 4, towards the end, they conceive trouble and give birth to evil. So it's not just what they do. It's not just what they say. It's not just the way they act towards others. It's what they think. It's what they desire. It's utterly wicked. 
It's sinful. They breed evil. And that's what verse 5 means, right? They hatch the eggs of vipers. They breed evil. They spin a spider's web. When one eats their eggs, that is, when one receives the plan that someone has made, an evil plan, they die. But if someone steps on a plan, tries to crush an evil plan, they do so in a way that causes more evil. That's the next verse. When one is broken, an adder is hatched. That's like a snake, a viper. And so when someone stamps down on somebody else's evil plan, they do it in such a way that it propagates evil. And then we have this weird verse in verse 6. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. I'm not sure about you, I've never tried to make clothing out of cobwebs. But we have a driveway at our house and as I walk down the driveway, I get a cobweb on my face. And I don't know about you, but you know that feeling where you get a cobweb in your face and it sucks and you're trying to wipe it away? When you go and look in a mirror, you can't see that cobweb, can you? But you can feel it. And so the expression here is, they feel like they're in the right. They feel covered. But in reality, they're not. They should be naked and ashamed. Their clothes are nothing. They're see-through. Their deeds are evil deeds. Their acts of violence are in their hands. Here's the clangor. Their feet rush into sin. Right? You might be inclined to think, oh, well, maybe they're trying hard, you know, but they just do the wrong thing. No, here, they pursue it hard. They run after it quickly. They're swift. They want to do it. They want to shed innocent blood. They want to pursue evil schemes. They are marked by their violence. They're marked by their violence. They don't know the way of peace. There's no justice in their paths. They turn them from straight, clear, into crooked. And so here's the summary. They are eager to sin in thought, word, and deed. But it keeps going. There's a summary for us. Have a look at verse 12. For our offences are many in your sight and our sins testify against us. Our offences are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities. And here is the definition. If you want to look for a definition of sin, here's the definition. Have a look. Verse 13. Verse 13. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord. Turning their back on God. Inciting revolt and oppression Uttering lies their hearts have conceived. Their heart, their hearts are turned away from God in rebellion against God. They don't honour Him as they ought. They don't worship Him as they should. And did you notice there that rebellion, treachery, describes and summarises <coughs> their wicked ways? Evil, wicked, false here, same as rebellion, treacherous. See, they long for justice, the people, don't they? But here, God's answer to them is, they're just as sinful as the nations surrounding it. They're just as sinful. And have a look at verse 16. Verse 16, just glance your eyes down there. 
God sees that there's no one to intervene. There's no one righteous. No, not one. And Israel's supposed to be God's holy people, the high point, the high nation of the Old Testament. It should come as no surprise to us when Paul takes this verse explicitly in Romans 3 and applies it to who? Everybody. See, this passage is a description of you. It's a description of me. I'm not sure if anyone said this to you before, but here it is straight out. You, me, we're sinners. We breed sin. We have rebelled against God. We're treacherous against God. In our natural state, that is the inclination of our hearts. And I don't know about you, but that's totally different than what society says, isn't it? Society says deep down, you're a good person. I'm a good person. Why would I do evil things? It must be because of your upbringing or because of your religion or the way you were treated or some trauma. Well, the Bible's view is much, much, much more sober and much more real. But what's the consequence? See, maybe you think, maybe like me, that this might be like an Incredibles kind of situation. You know the scene in The Incredibles, right, where Dash is sitting next to Mrs. Incredible in the front seat and then Mrs. Incredible says to Dash, uh, or Dash says to Mrs. Incredible, oh, but our powers make us special. And Mrs. Incredible says, but everyone's special. And Dash then says, that's just another way of saying no one is. You know that scene? Well, maybe you think like me that if everyone's sinful, surely it can't be that bad. Surely there's really not that big a problem, right, with it, if everyone's doing it. So let's have a look at the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin. There's two in this passage, right? So have a look. Logic statements, here you go, for all the smooth people, this is helpful for you. Think about all the logic we did. Uh, verse 2, there's a but. Verse 9, there's a so. And verse 14, there's another so. So let's look at the but first. Here's the but. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. So here's the first consequence of sin. Separation from God. Separation from God. Let me illustrate this. Imagine, if you will, that there's two random people not associated with anyone in this room called Lewendal and Emdwin. <laughs> All right? And so Lewendal, she's the older sister, and she receives from her mum a special hairbrush. And it's a special hairbrush. It's, it's carved, it's engraved. It's been handed down from generation to generation. It's a family heirloom. And Lewendal treasures it. But I don't know if you know, Emdwin has long hair. And Emdwin, Emdwin was, decides one day, I need to brush my hair. And so she goes and she takes Lewendel's hairbrush. She steals it. Oh, Emdwin. But not only that, she then goes to her mum and says, Mum, Lewendel lost this special hairbrush. Oh, Emdwin. But not only that, she goes one step further. When Lewendel comes to mum and says, Mum, I'm so sorry, I lost your hairbrush. I don't know, but I saw Emdwin using it 
Everyone says, how dare you accuse me? And walks off in a rage. And they don't speak to each other for months. Oh, Emdwin. She's betrayed Lewendel's trust. She's stolen. She's separated. But I don't know if you know this about Emdwin. Emdwin likes carrots. And just to prove this point, we were sitting in Making Sense of the Old Testament a second ago, and uh, literally halfway through the seminar, I hear this, <laughs> and Emdwin has pulled out a carrot, and she's munching on it in the midway through. But, travesty, there's no carrots. Emdwin can't find carrots, but Lewendel has a carrot. And so Emdwin comes back to Lewendel, says, Lewendel, please give me a carrot. They haven't spoken for months. What is the just and fair response from Lewendel. Should she answer and hear Emden's cry for a carrot? No. That is just, that is fair. Right? There's been separation. And that's what's going on here. The people have rebelled against God. They've been treacherous towards Him. Why should God listen to them? And so here, answer to our question, number one, why does God not hear the people? Because of their sin. But it also causes separation between humans. So you have a look in verse 9, right? Justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, there's longing there, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, when there's the most light, they stumble as if in twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. So here, the, the people seek righteousness, right? They seek justice. They seek to be in the right. They want it. Their sin is, is present before them. But because they have turned their back on God, they can't find it. They long for it, but it's nowhere to be found. And I don't know about you, but that seems to ring true for our society. There's a desire, right? There's a desire for there to be justice. There's a desire for there to be rightness. But everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Yesterday, I was listening to a story about this girl called Mia... Uh, she lives in LA and she's pretty poor. She lives paycheck to paycheck. And she describes herself like this. She's got a crippling gambling addiction. She's got an alcohol addiction, a weed addiction, a vaping addiction. When the paycheck comes, when she sees the money, she described it, that her mind goes blank. Her eyes glaze over and she spends the money she has on gambling, on alcohol. And then she comes to her senses and realises that she needs to eat. That her dog needs to eat, that her cat needs to eat. She realises how bad it is, but she can't get out of it. And that's what's happening here. The people realise their sin. And they realise that they want justice and righteousness, but they've turned their back on God. And it's nowhere to be found. There's separation between people. 
And here's something engineers will be unfamiliar with, but what's the emotional result? <laughs> what's the emotional result? We see it there, don't we? In verse 11, verse 11, we all growl like bears, right? They're frustrated, they're trapped, they can't get out, they growl like bears and they moan mournfully like doves, of which before I looked it up, I had no idea what that sounded like. And so we're going to do an experiment. What I'm going to get is I'm going to get about this place here from like, say, Martin this way. You guys are going to growl like bears and the rest of the room, you're going to moan mournfully like a dove. Whatever you think that might sound like. All right, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Okay, that was pretty poor. Uh, but that's all right. I have something prepared. Here we go. So we're going to hear, hopefully this works, a, mourn, a moanful mourn dove thing. Exactly what he sounds like. There you go. Great. So we're going to try it again. Here we go. So, same thing again. We're going to switch sides this time. So, if you growled last time, you're going to moan like this this time, and vice versa. Yes, all right, cool. Uh, here we go. So, ready? Three, two, one, go. Still poor. I expected better from you all, but we'll take. But you get the point. Right? They feel, they have this innate desire that they want justice, they want righteousness, but their sin is ever before them and they can't find it. They've turned their back on God and that's the consequence. They're stuck. And this is important for us. If you think you can save yourself, you're just wrong. You can't. You're stuck in your sin. Just because you acknowledge that you have faults and you have flaws, isn't sufficient. And God says that explicitly, right? In verse 16, there was no one to intervene, not even you, not even me. There was no one to intervene. And so we're left with a question, what will God do? What will God do? Will he do anything? He certainly doesn't owe it to the people to come and save them. So let's have a look at the Lord's saving action. The Lord's saving action. Verse 16, verse 16. He saw, that's God, he saw that there was no one, he was appalled that there was no one to intervene, so his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. God brings salvation by his own initiative, by his own means. There's no one else involved. He does it with zeal. And the key question to ask for us is, what is salvation in this text? What is salvation? Have a look with me. It's described there in verse 18. But it's not what you might think. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands, that just means the people far off, their due. So God, for God to bring salvation means judgment, wrath on his enemies, repayment to his foes, which we know from before includes who? All of us, everyone. 
We're all enemies of the state. And we learn that it's going to be a big and cataclysmic event, don't we? So have a look down there. Verse 19, From the west people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun they will revere His glory. For He will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. See, the people of Israel cry for deliverance, don't they? They cry for justice. What does that mean? It means they'll be judged. If God was to bring it then and there, it means they'll be judged. They will be repaid. And so a good question to ask is, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Who will be in this new Zion? See, the promise of God is that there will be people in the new Zion. We've seen that. And so here, I wanted you to discuss with the person next to you, the people around you, 30 seconds. Here's the question. How can God repay the thoughts, words and deeds of his enemies and yet have Zion with people in it? How can God be just and repay his enemies and yet have Zion with people in it? 30 seconds, discuss with the person next to you. Okay, let's come back together. Well, the key answer to it is that that is not the end of the passage, is it? That there's another thing. So read with me verse 20. Verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. So God will redeem those who repent. But how does that work? Right? How is God still just? And he will pour out his wrath on his enemies, but he will redeem those who repent. And how is this done in a big and cataclysmic type event? Well, the key for us is the arm of the Lord. So the arm of the Lord is clearly Jesus. It's this suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And so what we have is one big event of God's salvation coming. But with two distinctive bookmarks or bookends. The first bookend is the cross, right? On the cross, God suffers the wrath, Jesus suffers the wrath that we deserve on our behalf for our rebellion. And what? He provides His righteousness for us. He works His salvation for us. He redeems us. For those who repent and put their trust in Christ... The wrath is taken. It's still done. The repayment is still done, but it's poured onto Jesus. See, on the cross, God is both just and merciful. Right? But then there's a second bookend. And that is Jesus' return. His second coming. When Jesus comes, it will be like a big flood. From the east to the west, everyone will see it. It will come and it will be God in Jesus delivering his judgment on all of his enemies. It will come like a pent-up flood. And so we have a stunning answer to our question. Absolutely stunning. Why doesn't the Lord... Bring Zion now. 
Well, the answer is, in His mercy, in His mercy, He is giving people time to repent. He is giving people time to repent. And see, 2 Peter 3 has this exactly. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So why does God wait? Well, in His mercy, He is giving time for people to repent. If you're not a Christian here tonight, maybe you acknowledge that you have faults, sure. But if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never turned away from your sin, you've never humbled yourself, said, God, I can't do this by myself, and trusted in Christ, well, the the application of this passage is, it's time. Don't be foolish and make the mistake of thinking that because Jesus hasn't come, He won't. Don't be foolish and think that just because uh, Jesus hasn't come, maybe His arm is too short. Jesus will come. See, Isaiah is very, very clear, right? There are two groups of people here. There is all of us in our natural state to serve in God's wrath. And there are those who repent. As, pre- as later chapters put it, there's those who are humble and contrite and turn to God. There's no in-between. There's no neutral ground. There's no kind of if you're slightly better or slightly worse. It's all of us and those who repent. If that's you and you realise that you do need to repent, that you do need to trust in Christ, please come and chat to one of us staff. We'd love to have that conversation with you. But if you are a Christian, and my, I know that a fair portion of us are, then you have a promise written for you as the redeemed. Read that in verse 21. Have a look with me. Verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips, the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. And so for you, Christian, here is a promise of assurance. God's Spirit is on you. He will not depart from you. His Word will be on your lips and future generations' lips. And we've seen that in the church from generations past. It will happen in generations future. God's Gospel, God's Word does not depart. Put on the armour of God, as Ephesians 6 will say. The helmet of salvation, of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. The breastplate of righteousness that He has won for you and He has lived for you. And take your stand. And last but not least, it doesn't have it in the passage, but I think this is crystal clear. We need to go. Right? God in His mercy is giving people time to repent. That's good news. People can have a chance. They can repent and trust in Christ, be redeemed, included in Zion. How great! We need to go and tell people. So why does God not bring Zion now? Well, He is giving people time to repent. Have you? 
Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do thank you that on the cross, you sent your son to die on our behalf, to suffer the wrath that we rightly deserve. Lord, we we pray that you would help us to be assured of the salvation that we have, that it is done by your son. Lord, we pray that you would help us, give us boldness to go, to share, to call people to repent. We pray this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.